Fired Up show starts right now. And welcome everyone. Welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve. I'm your host. And each week or each podcast, we talk about the political system here in the U.S. and how it impacts uh, everybody in their daily lives. So thank you all for joining. I appreciate it. Uh, right now, let's start it off as we always do with our report on the COVID virus uh, here in the United States. Uh, we had slight increase uh, up to 104.6 million cases uh, over the past week. Uh, 1.14 million people have died from the disease and the vaccination rate has ticked up slightly to 676 million people who have received uh, at least one dose of the vaccine uh, against COVID. So continue to keep up the work, continue to keep yourself safe as we continue to uh, push the uh, occurrences of the disease downward. According to the CDC, the trending uh, March into April uh, has shown a downward trend, so hopefully we can continue that into May and beyond. All right, with that out of the way, let's get into uh, what we're going to talk about today. And I want to dedicate this episode really to uh, the younger voters, to the Gen X, Gen Y, and Gen Z group, uh, and you know the impact that these young voters are having as they come of age and join the American electorate. Uh, in uh, the political system here in this country. But before we get into delving into the Gen X, Y, and Z group, uh, let's kind of set a little bit of the stage and the backdrop. Uh, This week, of course, uh, if you were following the news, you know that uh, President Joe Biden officially announced uh, his bid, his candidacy for re-election. And on top of that, Uh, We had a uh, former governor, Asa Hutchinson, who threw his hat into the ring on the Republican side. So we now have four candidates uh, in the Republican Party uh, seeking the nomination for president from the Republicans, uh, that being former President Donald Trump, uh, Ambassador Nikki Haley, uh, former uh, Representative Tim Scott, and now former Governor Asa Hutchinson. And, of course, on the Democratic side, uh, Joe Biden is uh, currently unopposed, although uh, there are reports that some in the Democratic Party are considering uh, running against uh, the former president for the nomination. Uh, We will keep an eye on that and let you know how that transpires. Um, But as I said, I wanted to kind of focus uh, this episode on the young voters, uh, those uh, categorized as uh, Generation X, Generation Y, and Generation Z, uh, and the impact and effect that they have had uh, over the recent uh, elections that were held. Um, it, It has been widely reported that it was the participation of young voters uh, in the 2020 uh, presidential cycle that constituted a large percentage of the uh, victory for President Joe Biden. Uh, And we saw those same voters uh, come to the polls in in great numbers in the 2022 midterms, which, uh, as we discussed here, uh, saw that the projected red wave that Republicans were 
predicting would occur uh, really did not uh, materialize. Uh, it, it has been called sort of uh, semi-facetiously uh, uh, a red ripple, um, but it is clear that the, the key takeaway from the last two election cycles is that uh, younger voters, particularly the Gen Z voters who uh, just came of voting age and time for these last two cycles, uh, clearly made their presence felt and uh, clearly have set the stage to be a force to be reckoned with uh, in future elections. Right now, uh, they are projected that uh, they will be the largest voting block uh, by the time of the 2028 presidential cycle, uh, outpacing the uh, baby boom generation or the boomers uh, in the numbers uh, coming to the polls. So we're going to we're going to look at that. But uh, in order to perhaps gain a little perspective and before we get into some of the details, uh, I came across an interesting survey that came from the um, Black to the Future Action Fund and HIT Strategies, uh, which was reported in December of 2022 and just came out recently. Uh, and this was a poll that surveyed a total of 1,200 black voters in Georgia, North Carolina, and California. Now, I, I think this is relevant to our discussion uh, from the standpoint that it, it kind of sets some interesting and um, accurate assessments of the sentiment that is out there among uh, some of the uh, voting groups that uh, historically have been uh, overlooked, uh, disenfranchised, or suppressed. So just wanted to go through real quick and kind of give you what this poll uh, came out with. I will leave a link to it in the uh, Facebook page description for the show so you can go check it out for yourselves. Uh, one of the first questions they asked, and they contrasted uh, uh, polling done in October of last year and December of last year. Uh, the question uh, in North Carolina they asked was, uh, do I feel my vote is powerful? And the response uh, to yes, my vote is powerful in North Carolina. In October, it was 68% felt that way. And in December, uh, it had dropped slightly to 63%. Uh, the same question posed in California. Uh, those that said yes was at 51% in August. And in December, uh, they also dropped to 42%. So that is uh, significant uh, from, you know, in part what it says, but also in part why uh, or what some of the reasons behind that fall included. The poll cited that 42% of black voters who did not vote in the 2022 midterms said it was because they felt uninformed about the candidates they were being asked to vote for. And again, that number was 42%. Now, as we've discussed on this show, uh, it is clear that um, the uh, problem that both parties face is uh, a communication error or a messaging error uh, in that their messages are not getting out uh, clearly and decisively to uh, get the information to the voters. Uh, and this is especially true of the Democrats, and they have been 
uh, largely criticized for having you know, poor messaging in terms of getting out to the voters with why they need to consider the Democratic candidates uh, for elected office. And this is, this is up and down the board. This is national down to local. Uh, it is not just a national uh, consideration. So as the poll showed, uh, and, and the, the first category uh, was the uh, selection of who they voted for. And the question was raised, you know, did you vote for Democrats? In California, 71% said uh, yes, they voted for Democrats. In Georgia, 83% said yes. And in North Carolina, 80%. And these three states were the states that were polled by this organization, particularly for um, their, their uh, populations in the black community and the uh, experience and other elements that impacted how these groups voted uh, in these states. Uh, the second uh, question they asked was, I voted for a combination across parties, which meant split ticket votes. 22% in California said they voted split ticket, 13% in Georgia, and 14% in North Carolina. So while you know, a large percentage you know, voted Democratic in the election, a significant percentage uh, voted and, and split their ticket, whether it was you know, presidential uh, votes and then uh, down-ballot votes, etc. So an interesting... Uh, perspective there in that uh, I think it shows that voters are being much more discriminating about who they vote for and why. Now, one of the big points that came out of this poll and one of the reasons why I included it uh, is that it raised some very interesting points on outreach, on how the parties uh, got out to you know their their constituents or people they wanted to become their constituents, uh, particularly in in reporting on the Democrats, uh, and you know it it uh, it contrasted advertisements versus you know door knocking versus getting out in the community, uh, you know wearing down some shoe leather and knocking on doors. Uh, 79% of the respondents in all three states uh, said they saw a television ad for Democrats or liberal organizations. And uh, it said, contrasting, it said uh, 79% also reported that no Democrats or liberal organizations knocked on my door. Uh, 77% said they saw a television ad from Republicans or conservative organizations. And 84% said that no Republican or conservative organizations knocked on my door, which kind of supports the, the argument that is uh, frequently made that uh, when it comes in particular to Republicans, uh, you know, the black vote is one that is, you know, uh, routinely ignored. If, you know, 84% of uh, black voters in these three states said that no Republican or conservative uh, knocked on their door. Uh, it, it, it says that their vote is a vote Republicans don't necessarily care about. So, you know, interesting point of view there and something 
to uh, the political teams out there, and particularly the, the campaigns, uh, if you want to gain traction uh, with this group, you've got to go to where they are. You've got to go to them. You've got to, you've got to make your case uh, and you know, risk getting the door slammed in your face, but you have to be out there in front uh, or you, know, you are, are going to get ignored. Um, it, it also details some of the top concerns. Uh, 25% of, of, the, of those polled, and this poll had 1,200 respondents across the three states, uh, both urban, suburban, exurban, and rural. Uh, uh, 25% of the respondents said a top concern was inflation, and that's in line with uh, national polling that has uh, been done over the last uh, year or 18 months. Uh, 23% said a top concern was jobs in the economy, also in line with numbers that we have seen come back from uh, more broad national polling. Uh, when asked the question uh, about what the Biden-Harris administration's focus should be, 44% said gun control legislation, 42% said making white supremacy a national security threat and prosecuting hate crimes, and 39% said tax cuts and or credits for middle and working class families. And again, not, nothing too divergent from you know, what uh, the national numbers have said. Uh, they also mention uh, in this article about the poll that 35% uh, want to shift money from police funding to preventative services. Uh, now, that is, is different from the approach that is often attributed to the defund the police uh, effort uh, that has been reported on, uh, where the, the truth is um, that you know, for, for black voters, Crime and violence is best addressed by getting guns off the street and investing money in safety nets and services and prosecuting hate crimes, not by increasing funding for policing. So, you know, there, there is a movement nationally, you know, for such things as demilitarizing the police and, you know, reallocating funds uh, currently being expended in law enforcement to uh, more uh, social and psychological services, more uh, you know, family care and other uh, you know, non-police non efforts in the community. So uh, very, very interesting insight. Uh, I wanted to use it kind of to set uh, a, a talking point uh, on what's going on in the country. Um, but as I said at the outset, I really want to target this show on the uh, millennials and Gen Z uh, groups uh, and the impacts that they have been having. For example, uh, in response to the killing of three nine-year-old students and three adults by a 28-year-old former student of the private Covenant School in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, who went into the school with a handgun and two AR-style weapons, uh, you know, the, the response was a massive student protest at the state capitol on April 3rd, uh, which, among other things, uh, netted the result of 
three uh, Tennessee state legislators being recommended for expulsion from the uh, Tennessee State House uh, for participating along with the students in the protest. Uh, the end result is that uh, two of the three uh, state uh, congressmen, uh, both of whom were uh, black males, were in fact expelled, while the single white female who was also uh, proposed for expulsion survived that vote by uh, one vote. Uh, it, it ended up that both of the expelled representatives were returned to their seats by their district commissions uh, and will face a special election uh, later on this year uh, to fully restore them to their, their seats uh, by a vote of the people. And that restoration is largely expected to happen. Uh, but the, the key is that in response to uh, what they perceived as an ongoing uh, inaction in addressing gun violence in schools uh, nationwide, uh, but in Tennessee in particular, uh, a, a massive student protest was was done where students walked out of schools and went to the state capitol uh, to protest in the chamber of the legislature. Uh, in addition, uh, the the students and and young people and young voters in Wisconsin uh, overwhelmingly uh, defied stereotypes uh, by turning out in droves to elect a progressive. Uh, jurist named Janet Protasiewicz to the Wisconsin State Supreme Court. So the the um, the the justice elect uh, was voted in by you know eighty seven percent of the uh, votes in the uh, off year uh, Supreme Court election and overwhelmingly uh, defeated other candidates. Uh, so what we're seeing through these two actions are an increase in the amount of involvement and activism that is being shown by younger voters. Now, you know, the, the motivating factor in the Wisconsin election was uh, this uh, justice candidate uh, being very outspoken on issues of, uh, you know, uh, women's right to choose and women's health in general uh, issues uh, on gun violence and climate change, which resonated very strongly with the younger generation voters. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's clear that the power of the millennials uh, up up to including the Gen Z uh, can, uh, demographic uh, are being felt and will continue to be felt. Uh, the article cites with 70 million eligible voters, uh, Gen Z and millennials now make up the largest, most diverse and progressive generational voting bloc in the nation's history. So the challenge that, you know, our, our being faced by both political parties, 
but in particular uh, by the Republican Party if they want to uh, gain access to these uh, these younger voters and if they want to gain their support uh, is that you know number one they've got to be uh, more focused and less tone deaf to the issues that are of concern to these voters um, you know it, it is clear that uh, you know as reported in this article from Politico uh, a strong majority of millennials and Gen Z voters are unlikely to vote for a 2024 presidential candidate who holds different views from them on abortion, gun control, climate, systemic racism, and the events of January 6, 2021. Uh, 22%, only 22% self-identified as conservative uh, in, in the uh, Gen Z voters who took part in the survey. Uh, and that represents 9% or conservative leaning, which represents uh, 13%. More than twice that many, 46% identified as progressive uh, at 26% or progressive leaning at 20%. So it, it's clear that, you know, while Democrats don't have a lock on these voters, uh, they definitely need to improve their messaging, as, as I mentioned in the first uh, portion of this uh, reporting on the surveys. So, you know, there is uh, considerable work to be done uh, in, in terms of how the political parties are going to get a hold of these voters, uh, you know, and, and how that is going to play out in future elections. So whether it is the concerns of black and other minority voters, uh, whether it is the concern of, you know, Gen X, Gen Y and Gen Z voters uh, who are voting in larger and larger numbers. And as I said, will uh, become the overwhelming largest uh, block of voters in the electorate, uh, you know, so. That is you know, what the future holds. And if Republicans uh, who now control the House, uh, if they have hopes and aspirations of expanding that control and you know, expanding, uh, perhaps getting control of the Senate and you know, maybe getting you know, a, a uh, presidential uh, election into the White House in, in 2024, they're going to have to change their strategies. They're going to have to um, look at where the public is in this country and adjust their, uh, their priorities and their actions and their messaging accordingly. Now, having said that, do I think that the Republican Party, as it is currently uh, constituted, uh, is going to make those changes? Um, I have to be honest with you and say, no, I don't. I think the current uh, Republican Party, the way it is uh, operating now, is solely focused on the activities they are doing uh, to lock in their electoral power so that they don't have to listen to what you and I and the other voters say. They're already ignoring, uh, ignoring us on... Uh, issues that, you know, high percentages of American voters feel strongly uh, about. 
both from abortion and women's health uh, to gun control, to climate change, uh, to the economy, to inflation. Uh, it's, it's, it's clear that the American electorate overwhelmingly is in favor of uh, uh, our government and our elected officials making substantive changes to, to affect uh, a positive outcome on, on these topics. And yet Republicans continue to focus uh, their energies and their efforts on consolidating their power, consolidating their control over uh, state legislatures, and moving forward with their, uh, their agenda of action items. Um, don't forget, and we've talked about on this show, and I'll, I'll, let's let's go through let's go through a short list here of what the Republicans uh, want to see happen in this country. Number one, there is an active effort uh, with the Republican Party to constitute a second constitutional convention and substantially edit or rewrite rewrite the Constitution of the United States. Let that sink in. They want to rewrite the Constitution in a form uh, that is in alignment with their current um, ultra-conservative viewpoints. Uh, you know, we could we could go for hours on what that would involve, but we have already you know broached that subject on prior uh, uh, podcasts, um, and you know there are more than enough articles out there that you can find on a second constitutional convention. Uh, they are not interested in you know the the efforts and they will fight tooth and nail uh, to oppose the efforts by Democrats to expand the Supreme Court and dilute their their lock on that body. Uh, you can expect that if that argument comes up in uh, the the Senate that the Republican response is going to be loud and vitriolic and and very pointed in opposition. Uh, they want to uh, redo, undo many of the recent uh, initiatives that have been brought forward under the Biden administration. Um, they want to eliminate the uh, student debt forgiveness. They want to severely curtail uh, the, the expansion and hiring of additional IRS employees. Uh, to, you know, under the auspices of, you know, budget cuts and saving money on the budget and the deficit, uh, they want to keep the IRS uh, weakened so that it hampers its ability to go after tax cheats, particularly tax cheats at the high end of the income level. They want to, um, you know, eliminate, uh, if not drastically uh, eviscerate, uh, various agencies uh, that are charged with protecting the general health and welfare of the citizens of the United States. And by that I mean uh, they want to uh, constrict the EPA. They want to you know, uh, expand uh, drilling for oil, even though currently there are thousands of unused oil leases waiting uh, to be drilled. They, they want to basically uh, open this country up for exploitation uh, by the wealthiest uh, people in this country. They want to sustain tax cuts that primarily favor 
the top, you know, 1% in this country. Uh, they oppose a livable minimum wage. They oppose, uh, you know, making uh, uh, universal health care uh, and, and, you know, continuing the Affordable Care Act and others. They, even though they say they aren't, uh, they are looking for backdoor ways to uh, cut back on Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Uh, so, you know, there, there is an active agenda in the Republican Party to make this country a lot, lot less uh, uh, friendly, a lot less uh, hu humanitarian, uh, a lot less caring. So, you know, for the young voters out there, uh, there is significant work laying ahead of you. Uh, what I suggest, and we will we will talk more about this at at the toward the end of the show when I give you some action items uh, that we need to do. But it is clear that uh, the the focus of the voting population of this country needs to be on moving this country back to a more humanistic, a more caring uh, culture and not just one focused uh, to the benefit of the wealthiest uh, people in this country. That is going to be, you know, job one for many of us uh, in the coming, you know, years uh, and election cycles. Uh, so we will, of course, here on Fired Up, we will be out in the forefront for as long as we have the platform and as long as, you know, there is uh, breath in my lungs, we will continue to to bring these issues forward and look to find ways to expand and uh, get our message out there. So let's, um, let's take a break right here. And when we come back on the other side of the message, uh, we'll pick up a couple of other things that I want to cover again as we focus this episode of Fired Up on you know the younger voters out there. So you're listening to Fired Up. We're right here on WJMS Media, and we'll be right back after the break. WJMS Media is proud to be the Raise Your Voice media sponsor for the American Lung Association's Lung Force Walk. Join us at Pier 16 South Street Seaport, New York, New York, on May 13th at 9.30 a.m. Walk with us to help us raise funds and critical awareness to end lung cancer and other chronic lung diseases. To learn more about participating or making a donation, visit www.lungforce.org NYC. Your donation and participation will help support the American Lung Association's research innovation, which leads to early detection for all and better treatments that give everyone a fighting chance. Small steps, bold strides. And welcome back. As the message said, on the 13th of May, uh, WJMS is the proud media partner for the Lung Force uh, Cancer Walk uh, to be held in New York City. Uh, for more details, go to the WJMSRadio.com website and click on the banner for the Lung Force Walk. Uh, if you could, uh, please uh, contribute to the cause. Uh, there is a Team WJMS page. Uh, if you go down to the bottom of the home page, you'll see the teams listed and you can search teams. Put in Team WJMS 
and you'll go to our uh, page and find out more information as well as give you the opportunity to donate uh, to help support our efforts with the Lung Force uh, Cancer Walk. So we appreciate it. Uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you. If you're in the area, please come out to the South Street Seaport and uh, support us. And uh, we look forward to seeing you there. All right, to get back into our show, we are talking about, and I have uh, dedicated this show to discussions of uh, voting and in particular to uh, getting the uh, Generation X, Y, and Z voters uh, motivated and moving in a direction. Uh, they've already started. Uh, make no mistake about it. Uh, the, uh, the media has been talking about it. The Democrats have been talking about it. The Republicans have been talking about it. What have they been talking about? They have been talking about how the uh, Zoomers, Generation Z, and uh, Millennials, and boomers have uh, stepped up in the last two election cycles, the midterms and the presidential, uh, 2022 and 2020, respectively. And uh, frankly, for the Republicans, uh, that is an area they are concerned about. Uh, it is clear that these younger voters are leaning much more toward uh, progressive and Democratic candidates uh, than they are Republicans. Uh, in doing the research for this, uh, I found a uh, news article uh, that uh, came uh, out reporting about a uh, conference that was held uh, in, uh, at Syracuse University. And this uh, article, uh, uh, Syracuse Panel Explores Disconnect Between Gen Z and Political Participation. So it's a uh, panel that discussed Gen Z and the future of politics, and it was held at the Maxwell School of Citizenship and Public Affairs at, at Syracuse University. Uh, some of the key takeaways from the article, and I talked about uh, the panelists discussed reasons for voter apathy among young people, including gaps in education and barriers to voting. And it noted that in the next five years, Gen Z and millennials are projected to make up over half of U.S. voters. By 2036, over 60% of the voting population will be made up of both age groups. Uh, while the last few elections have seen historic highs in youth voter turnout, young people still participate at much lower rates than older generations. And uh, that is and should be an area of concern uh, as, you know, they are the keepers of the future. Uh, it turns out, according to the article again, it turns out that young people are actually incredibly politically interested, uh, one uh, participant said. The difference is that young people are less likely to follow through on that intention to vote. Um, we're going to talk about that at the, the back end of this segment uh, in a few moments. Uh, it was pointed out that there are structural boundaries that impede young people's ability to vote, including efforts to shut down university polling locations and refusals to accept student IDs as identification at the ballot box. It turns out that young people are actually incredibly uh, interested. Uh, the difference is, as I said, that they are less likely to follow through on that intention. 
you know, it is, and it is uh, in in some ways related to some of the the optics and demographics of the current makeup of our political uh, infrastructure here in this country. Uh, as the article cites, quote, we have the oldest president in history who just took over from the second oldest president in history. Uh, we have the oldest representative national body of almost any country in the world. That is a big part of why it is a barrier for young people to get involved, because it seems like the people who are running the country aren't even remotely aware of the issues and life experiences of younger generations. And that's an interesting point. Uh, we talked about in, I believe, the last uh, last week's podcast, uh, how that the Republicans in their latest uh, efforts at uh, voter disenfranchisement uh, are actively moving to remove uh, polling places from college campuses and from the vicinity of college campuses, uh, as well as uh, eliminating the allowance of you know, student IDs as legitimate credentials uh, in order to register and cast a vote. So there is an active effort uh, among Republicans to to uh, to downsize the student participation in the electoral process. Now, I will say this and we'll again, we'll bring up more on this uh, at the the backside of this segment. But, you know, that is something, you know, for you young people out there, uh, you cannot let this stand. Uh, they are trying to disenfranchise you just as they uh, have been working to disenfranchise uh, black people and, and other people of, of color, uh, you know, poor and rural voters and so forth, uh, actively seeking to reduce their participation in the voter process. Uh, so we can't let that happen. Uh, we'll talk about some strategies uh, that we can put in place and that you can use in order to to combat that as we get later on into this segment. Um, while younger generations, again, according to the article, rely on social media for political communication, older generations don't. So we have a, uh, a, a schism between information sources between the younger generations uh, who rely heavily on social media and the older generations who are more attuned to cable news and more traditional uh, information sources. Uh, cable news is probably still the most important location for political communication in the United States, but according to uh, the article, basically no one under 40 watches it at all. Well, that's, that may be a little bit strong of a statement, but it is probably not far from the truth. Uh, the, the panelists in this group at Syracuse uh, emphasize the importance of education when it comes to voter turnout, but acknowledged that there are limitations uh, to what the school system can do. Uh, on top of a lack of practical instruction on voter registration and the electoral system, Teachers often choose not to incorporate current issues into their lessons out of fear of opposition from parents. And, you know, as we have seen, you know, in in the the recent uh, news out of you know states like Florida and Texas and, and others, um, anything that seems to be working in favor of 
increasing the information levels of you know audiences that Republicans have targeted uh, is uh, being very much uh, discouraged, uh, actively fought against, and otherwise uh, really made very difficult. However, according to the article, despite barriers, it was pointed out that an increasing number of young people uh, finding avenues into politics and political offices uh, are a sign of progress. In January, former March for Our Lives organizer Maxwell Frost became the first member of Gen Z to serve in Congress after being elected as the representative for Florida's 10th district in the 2022 midterm elections. Uh, according to the article, uh, he is seen as an inspiration, but also hope that uh, more young people are going to run for office. So, you know, there, there is hope. There is uh, the opportunity. Now what we need is for the uh the encouragement uh, of you know members of the millennial and and Gen Z groups to get engaged in the political process uh, more than just voting to run for office, or for your groups to uh, identify uh, political candidates that uh, that think the way you think and that feel the way you feel something we talk about on this program constantly, and, you know, uh, encourage, convince, con cajole, you know, however, to get them to run for political office, you know, and it, it is a process, uh, you know, that we've talked about in, in terms of how we change the uh, electoral demographic in this country. And again, I'll, I'll bring some more information on that in a little bit. Um, so, you know, we have, as I said, with, you know, Max Frost uh, out of Florida, uh, we look at the uh, two members of the Tennessee um, uh, legislative house uh, who, you know, were ousted and have been returned and have become, you know, not only media superstars, but political superstars through their, their advocacy and their visibility uh, in the mainstream media. Uh, fighting for the causes that matter to young people. I mean, both of these gentlemen, you know, are, you know, I would, I would guess they're Gen X. Um, I, I don't know their exact ages, but I, I would guess they are, are Generation X uh, 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 individuals. And, you know, they have taken the celebrity, if you will, of, you know, their situation of being ousted from the Tennessee state legislature and then returned by their district offices and likely to succeed in their reelection efforts later this year. They are using that as a bully pulpit to not only convey the messages of, you know, e equality and fairness and inclusion uh, in, you know, both the electoral and the political process, but in, in the everyday lives of, you know, their constituents. Uh, so, you know, there are, there are examples out there of how young people or younger people are getting engaged uh, with the system and, you know, to a certain extent are actually making a difference. Uh, it, it is very encouraging to see, you know, the, as they are called, the two Jasons, 
uh, in Tennessee uh, and and you know, standing up and taking on the uh, members of the Tennessee uh, legislative house uh, and you know educating them and, and correcting them and basically just letting them know that you know the the status quo uh, is you know no longer being accepted in the state of Tennessee so you know the the battle lines are being drawn uh, however uh, we we cannot sit back on our laurels and uh, think that you know we are are riding the wave toward victory uh, that is definitely not the 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 situation and you know this the next article that I want to bring up uh, clearly uh, states that you know the Republicans are not going to go down without a fight so you know here is an article that I found in Politico uh, that came out uh, just this past week uh, it's titled House Republicans could expand their majority if they win these court cases and the article talks about uh, it features two court cases uh, based on current situations uh, in the state of North Carolina and in the state of Ohio uh, and calls that the first test um, of Republicans uh, looking to plow ahead with their ambitious gerrymandering uh, despite previous reprimands from state courts uh, and it, it shows you know it, it reveals the strategy that Republicans are taking both in in terms of judicial process but also in terms of the legislative process as well as you know and as we've discussed on this program many times uh, the Republicans have had an aggressive strategy of gerrymandering uh, states where they have legislative control in order to create the scenario that is a self-perpetuating power machine so that they have an outsized amount of power for their numbers in you know a, a given state uh, it is it is something that they have been actively working on for decades uh, and at present they currently control um, I think it is 23 uh, state legislatures uh, and you know uh, an additional number of state governorships as well uh, and they continue to work on advancing that agenda uh, the the upshot is that by gerrymandering districts to favor Republican candidates not only do they eliminate competition in terms of uh, you know Democrats uh, gaining additional seats but they also work through the process of uh, you know uh, House representatives at the at the federal level uh, locking in control of the House of Representatives uh, in in you know many many states uh, as we already see you know, even though they have a slim major majority of something like five seats, uh, with these uh, court cases, uh, typically, or, or for instance, in North Carolina and in Ohio, uh, they have uh, taken on a full-blown battle strategy where they are working on the fronts of uh, locking in conservative uh, judges that support 
Repu Republican uh, or, or especially uh, conservative Republican values uh, in order to protect those leads from challenges through the legal system. Uh, you know, that the, the party believes that, you know, if they receive a favorable ruling in this North Carolina case where the original gerrymandered map uh, was thrown out and uh, a new map was challenged uh, by, you know, by the Democrats uh, and it made it all the way to the Supreme Court that if the, these maps are, are, with, are upheld and the gerrymandering is allowed to stand, that the corresponding representatives and the House of Representatives in Washington will remain in Republican control. And what we will see is, much as we see now, you know, the, the divided government uh, that we have with an even more powerful Republican contingent in the House of Representatives uh, as, you know, the, the uh, extra representatives or the newly minted representatives based on this gerrymandering uh, will, you know, ultimately take their seats. Uh, the, the article talks about um, the uh, cumulative effect of all of these fights is significant and could be the determining factor for control of the House following the 2024 elections. Uh, and this is from Marina Jenkins, who was recently named the executive director of the National Democratic Redistricting Committee, the party's map-making power center. Uh, the case in North Carolina is an especially unusual one, according to the article. The state Supreme Court invalidated a map drawn by the GOP-controlled state legislature after the 2020 census that would have given Republicans control as of as many as 11 of the 14 districts. Instead, the court set into place for the midterms a new map that resulted in the election of an equal number of Democrats and Republicans. Uh, but the uh, justices on the state Supreme Court, they were also on the ballot. So Republican candidates won both of the state Supreme Court seats uh, up in the midterms, flipping the balance of the court from a 4-3 liberal majority to a 5-2 conservative one. Uh, in a rare move, the new conservative majority agreed to rehear the already decided case. So the, the, the case of the North Carolina gerrymandering had been decided, but the new court, uh, under the new uh, more uh, conservative uh, justices, uh, agreed to rehear that case, and you know it, it's expected uh, that it will be, you know, that map will be overturned and a new, more Republican favorable map uh, will be drawn. Uh, so, you know, the, the Democrats could lose uh, not only you know, seats in, in the state legislature, but also seats in the federal uh, House of Representatives based on the outcome uh, of these, these elections. Now, of course, what we hear from the Republicans is, no, 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 no. It's going to be fair. It's, you know, Republican judges are going to call balls and strikes. You know, and, and this was from 
uh, Representative Richard Hudson, who is a Republican from North Carolina and is the chairman of the National Republican Congressional Committee. Um, I think the current map is a partisan gerrymander and that we need fair and legal maps, he added. Uh, and if you have fair and legal maps, uh, you'll have more Republican representatives. So, you know, it, it is, you know, a, a, an ongoing battle that has been going on now for, for many years and will continue. Uh, so, you know, the, the action items, and we're about to get into our discussion of that as we uh, wind through the last few minutes of uh, this segment and the show, uh, the action items are to uh, become more engaged to uh, bring more voters out to overcome whatever obstacles are, are placed uh, in the road between, you know, full and fair elections uh, and, you know, the, the ultimate goal. So we'll, we'll keep advised, keep you advised on what transpires in North Carolina and Ohio. Um, but I, I, I would be remiss if I said I, I believe that the Republicans are, are likely to be successful at, at least in North Carolina and possibly in both. But, you know, that is not a, a permanent fix or a permanent solution. It can be undone uh, with an increased Democratic voter turnout. So we will keep you advised and, you know, we will, we will keep you up to date and discuss strategies uh, starting with today's show. And we will make this part of our regular uh, lineup for the Fired Up podcast going forward. So with that being said, let's uh, devote the last few minutes we have here. And I want to talk again to the uh, millennials, to the Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z voters, uh, especially those who aren't registered uh, to vote yet and, and maybe, you know, 18 or older or, or you know, will become uh, over 18 in time for the upcoming 2024 elections. Uh, I hope that, you know, what we've talked about here on today's show has given you a sense of the importance of your getting out there and getting actively engaged in the political process in this country. Uh, I realize and I, I get that when you look at the, the makeup of our uh, legislative bodies, uh, especially at the federal level, uh, you see very few people that look like you or that are of your age, you know, or or think like you even. Uh, but please don't let that discourage you and keep you from registering to vote, from, you know, maintaining your registration and exercising your vote uh, at every election, whether it's a local election, a state election or a federal election. Uh, it is that critical that every vote be exercised and that every vote be counted. Now, you will run into obstacles. There will be challenges to, you know, voter registration. There will be moves made, as we've talked about in this show, to uh, relocate polling places outside of college campuses or limit, as we've discussed in the past, the number of ballot drop boxes to one per county, as they're doing in Texas. Uh, it is you know, a, an ongoing strategy 
that the Republicans have been using for the last 53 years. Uh, and, you know, the, the only cure for the, the Southern strategy is an overwhelming uh, Democratic turnout. And what we saw in the 2020 election, what we saw in the 2022 midterms, uh, what we've seen in the last few election cycles is that even though there are obstacles placed in the way, a concerned and committed uh, electorate will get out and get voting accomplished. Get your votes in and make sure they are counted. Uh, don't let any uh, games or any Republican strategies uh, stand in your way. And you know, make sure that you are making your voice felt. Uh, that's on the front end. On the back side of that, once you know the the elections are over, don't stop participating in the process. Your participation means reaching out and communicating with your elected officials. And as I said, we it's a broken record, but we say it here every every week on every podcast. You need to be in active communication with your local, state, and federal representatives. If you don't know who they are, you can. there are resources online. You can go to vote.org. You can go to Ballotpedia. Uh, any number of uh, websites will give you a rundown of who your elected officials are uh, right down to the local level. And please exercise that and make sure that you are staying connected with your uh, representatives, reach out to them, communicate with them, you know, by every means possible. That's email, fax, phone, uh, chat, you know, text message, uh, fully utilize social media. The vast majority of the uh, senators and Congress people uh, in Washington are on, you know, one or more of the social platforms. Uh, so utilize that. Let them know that, number one, you're watching them. Number two, uh, you are grading them. And number three, if you are not pleased uh, with number one and number two, that you know, they can be voted out of office. Uh, so you know, we have the power. Our government, our country runs on the fact that it was designed that the governed, that's us, gave the power to uh, elected officials to govern on our behalf, uh, but that they are responsible and reportable to us through the election process. So, you know, we need to make sure that our elected officials understand fully that if they are not doing what we sent them there to do, whether it's, you know, city council, uh, state boards, uh, school boards, whatever, that we will not hesitate to remove them from office using the power of the ballot. Second piece of that is uh, look around you, find you know potential candidates or find candidates that are uh, that are supporting the initiatives and the positions that are important to you and support those candidates. Let them know that you agree with what they are uh, proposing. Let them, let them know that you are supporting them. Uh, contribute to their campaigns. 
volunteer to be part of their organization when election time uh, comes and all year long. Make sure that you are communicating with your representatives. Uh, if they know that you're out there and you're watching and you're engaged, they will be more likely uh, to, to follow your instructions, to do what it is that you as the voter sent them there to do. And, you know, also, uh, of course, you know, they, they can be uh, very helpful when there are issues that need to be addressed in your district or your city or town, you know, or your state. So, you know, it, it is clear that we all need to be more engaged, not less. We all need to be communicating more with our elected officials, not less. We need to be doing our homework, uh, educating ourselves. Uh, as we always say, as I always say, we need to dig deeper and dig wider and get information. We need to be listening to multiple sources of information, not just one social media platform, not just one uh, mainstream media station. I don't care you know, who it is that you listen to, you know, whether it, it's Fox, Newsmax, MSNBC, CNN, any of them. Make sure that you are listening to more of them and go out and, and listen to opposing views. You know, if if you are typically a Fox News listener, go check out MSNBC. Find out what they're talking about. Same thing. If you typically listen to CNN, go check out Newsmax. See what it is that they're talking about, because I guarantee you that the truth lies somewhere in the middle. That's going to do it for this episode. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, get engaged, get active, get involved. All right. And to that end, make sure you stay safe. Uh, watch out and, and, and protect yourself against COVID. Uh, and let's get, let's get rolling. We're in the political season now. So we need to make sure that we are stepping our game up uh, as well. Thank you all for listening. I do appreciate it. If you have comments or questions, please send an email to firedupradio at yahoo.com. And I look forward to doing this all over again, to talking with each and every one of you again in seven days. Mm -hmm.